The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Seeds of Doom! <laughs> I said I was going to do it, and I did it. There you go. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. Howdy, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hello, Dom. Folks, be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866. And also check out another show that we have on the network. And I hesitate to call it a show because it is PlayStation Portable. This is not a, a show per se. It's a prayer opportunity. It's the Liturgy of the Hours of the Divine Office of the Catholic Church that calls you to prayer several times a day. And it's a very nice podcast that we've been doing for over a decade and a half. So check it out at sqpn.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So, Dom, I have a question. Yes. So you said people could text StarQuest to a number to get on our mailing list, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, when they do that, do they text StarQuest as one word or two? Oh, that's a good point. It's one word, StarQuest. Okay. StarQuest. <laughs> just, so the, just so folks know. Okay. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. I should make sure that I put that in my, uh, in my script so that I, I will uh, say that in the future. So StarQuest is one word, in, uh, camel ca- uh, cased, which is where the, there's does, a capital does it, letter in the does middle. It, does it need to be camel cased for this to work? We should test that. I will test it. Um, probably not. I'm going to guess that it doesn't. Okay. It would be really dumb if they programmed it to be camel cased so, but to, to the, for capitalization to matter. In any case, let's talk about the Seeds of Doom. Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap of this episode? This week, Doctor Who again does H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness and Howard Hawke's 1951 film, The Thing from Another World. The fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane head down to Antarctica, where a 20,000-year-old pod from outer space has been discovered. Unfortunately, the pod has infected a guy and is turning him into a world-destroying plant called a crinoid. Also, unfortunately, he dies, but there is a second pod, and an eccentric, amoral, millionaire British botany fan has sent two goons down to Antarctica to steal it for him. They do, and they bring it back to his country manor house in England, where it proceeds to infect his head botanist guy, who also starts becoming a crinoid. The doctor is very concerned because if the crinoid germinates, it will shoot out hundreds of baby crinoid pods and irretrievably infect the earth, leading to the death of all animal life, including humans. And the crazy botanist has become even crazier, gone full native, and now believes himself to be a plant and wants all the animals to die. At the last minute to save the day, the doctor actually calls in a unit airstrike to destroy the now giant crinoid plant octopus monster, causing the third doctor to turn over in his grave. The end. <laughs> so, uh, a, a couple of thoughts. First, this is the last major unit story. Like, so the last story where unit plays a major role until 
the episode we recently talked about, the Seventh Doctor's Battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the last time we'll see Unit for a while. And also, it doesn't has no Brigadier, no Benton for yep. from Unit. So they're they're gone now. We finally get to uh, see some other Unit officials that we don't really even hear about. All of a sudden, they're just created because I'm sure probably the actors weren't available or something. Yeah, yeah, and we do hear about the Brigadier. They mention he's in Geneva during the story, so right. that's why we have other people. Yes, but we don't know where Benton is, probably on leave somewhere. The other thing is uh, the uh, the millionaire botanist, uh, Harrison Chase. Do you, you know how he's a bad guy? He's wearing gloves constantly. <laughs> yeah. he has, he's wearing black gloves all the time for no apparent reason, which is clearly the sign of a bad guy in the 70s and 80s. That's just, yeah. Also, <laughs> also, I know he's a bad guy because he's hiring people to commit murder and stuff like that. Oh, well, I suppose that, too, I yeah. guess, if, if <laughs> yeah. you have to be technical about it. <laughs> so uh, it, it's an interesting story because it's, you know, the, the guy who becomes so enamored of vegetation that he identifies as a vegetable or, you know, a, a, yeah. a, a plant. This could almost be a story you could put out today, although they never would with Doctor Who, the current Doctor Who. But it is almost a story. You know, th- these sorts of ideas is, you know, the of identity and yeah. and uh, climate change and oh, I see you know, you saving mean. the I, plants I, and that sort of thing. I identify as a plant instead of as a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. His 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 conversion to plant mentally because he does not become a crinoid. He remains physically a human. Right. Um, and it's it's it, a little confusing what his exact relationship is with the plant world at the end, because. The way they the way they start portraying it, I mean, there's a visual hint on on screen that suggests he's fallen under the mental influence of the crinoid. And and that apparently is what happens, Mm -hmm. though. Initially, it's more like they play it more like he's just had a psychotic break. Mm -hmm. And that's what Sarah Jane's initial theory is, is he's just gone crazy. He's he's had a psychotic break. He's not thinking clearly. But the doctor suggests he may be possessed. And based on the visual hint they give, there is some kind of apparent mental influence that the crinoid is having over him now. And he and it's unlike anybody else. It's not trying to kill him. The crinoid is trying to kill everybody else, but it's not trying to kill him. And exactly what his role is supposed to be in this new order is not very well thought out because he views all animals as um i don't know if parasites they, well I yeah I, was, I don't know if he says cannibals but he he at one point says all plant eaters must die well then what are you going to eat because if all <laughs> the other plant eaters die you're not going to have any meat to feed on so um i'm not clear what his long term role in this is supposed to be but he does talk about how having become part of this plant world now. Yeah. It's an interesting character. And there are base two basic locations that we go to go from and they're kind of they kind of do it well. So we have the Antarctica base and we have Chase's country, uh, country estate. Yeah. yeah. So we have two bases under siege or th- yeah. or three if you count the cottage they're trapped in for right. a while. Right, right. Yeah, so it is cl- it is a definitely a base under siege sort of story. Uh it, it also taps very much into uh 1970s stuff. So 
for one thing, I, I've commented and, you know, others have, too, about how Doctor Who likes to take ordinary things and try to make them scary. You know, mm-hmm. the Weeping Angels being a, an example mm-hmm. of that. Or, you know, the Vashtanarada, the things that hide in the shadows. Well, um, here we have not just statues or shadows being scary, but plants, you know, because normally what do you do if a plant tries to kill you? Not even not even be aware of it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) right. And if you did become aware of it, you could just run away and the plant can't (laughs) follow you. So this is an, an early attempt of taking something utterly mundane and trying to make it scary. But it also fits in with a lot of stuff that was going on in the 1970s, because this was the decade that gave us the secret life of plants. The idea that plants are secretly much more than we think they are. People were talking to their plants. That was supposed to be good for them. They were playing music for their plants. That was supposed to be good for them. They were hooking up lie detectors to plants that was supposed to be showing that they were telepathic and all kinds of interesting plants are more than we think stuff that's playing into this episode. Right. Yeah. And at one point, Chase plays this awful screeching music for the plants (laughs) to help them grow. The the hymn of the plants. Yeah. And it is this like screeching electronic music that has, uh, it has no beat and you can't dance to it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very seventies and, and a requiem <laughs> as well, and a requiem for the plants. Yes, that's true. Right, right. Actually, uh, the requiem was actually for Linnaeus, so Linnaeus, it was yeah. like for a for a, for a uh, biologist. Right, right. The guy who gave us the uh, the, the classification for species. Yeah. So Men- mentally, also- mentally, I couldn't help glossing this one as Doctor Who versus Biolanti, but. I don't. Uh, most people don't know their Godzilla canon well enough to fully appreciate that. Probably. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, I I don't know that one. Uh, the other uh, major player in this is something called the World Ecology Bureau, which apparently is another part of the UN. Um, and their their task they're kind of like the EPA for the world. I would guess they're all about saving the environment. Um, sure. From from <laughs> then, I guess. Um, the UN. It's it's very interesting how. Again, it's a very 70s thing that the UN was the ultimately, from that viewpoint in the 70s, was the ultimate end. Like, we were going to all unite under this one world government that would provide defense and take care of everything. Very much the hope at the time. And I mean, that's what led to the EU, because the idea was the EU, I think, eventually would become part of the UN officially as a like a sub organization. Right. Right. And we, we see that over and over again in, in Doctor Who of this era from the 60s and the 70s, this this, this idea. And I, apparently, we all gave up on that one a while ago, uh, which is probably just as well. Well, there are people who, who, who claim to st- that, that high muckety mucks are still after this. The alleged plan was like hatched at the Club of Rome uh, quite a while ago. The idea was unite the individual regions of the earth into subregions, like all of Europe is one nation now. And then unite all of the subregions together, and you have a planetary government. Right, right. It it, it just you, you kind of see the hints of the, the mindset, the thinking in in Doctor Who of this era with Unit and this World Ecology Bureau. By so, the way, and, by the way, this is a six parter. Yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, but it it moves fairly quickly. It's a little padded in the middle, but um, mm-hmm. but it seemed to move fairly quickly. Well, splitting it to the this this big Antarctica set piece yeah. and uh, and yep. the England set piece really helped. I mean, it really almost was two stories 
uh, the, you know, in, yeah. in two parts. So I hate to say is once the crinoid actually showed up in his full form, that's when it, it kind of, it was the last, that was the end of the fourth part. And then it just kind of dragged a little bit. I mean, again, you had it this, was, let's blast it with our, our laser that looks like a bazooka. floodlight on a bazooka. and <laughs> <laughs> your, uh, your RPG floodlight. Yeah, uh, yeah it, there was a lot of running about corridors the the last couple episodes. They they could have conflated that into mm-hmm. five parts, but I get, I'm going to guess that six, they needed to be some even number or something along those lines. Well, yeah, and in fact, this whole thing was written to fill a slot in the schedule because they needed a season closer story for this season. And they had originally been going to use a story called The Hand of Fear, which is the Eldrad Must Live story. But they had script problems with that one, so they pushed that off till next season and hastily got the guy to write this, who did end up writing it. And it's like, can you do something for us really fast? And for for something done on the quick like that, I think this turned out pretty well. This is this is one of my one of my yeah. I can't say favorites, but it's one of the ones I remember from the Fourth Doctor from watching mm-hmm. him as a kid. You know, it, it's yeah, it's definitely memorable, and it, it's not a bad story by any stretch of the imagination. It's, oh no, I, I remember watching it as a kid in the seventies as well. It it's not one I've rewatched frequently though. I think this yeah. may be the second or the third time. I, I think it's I think this is the third time I've seen it over the last ever. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so it's not one that I would go back to a lot. But but knowing how it was written, it's like okay, that's not that's not too bad for something they pulled together at the last minute. And they have a a vast cast. I mean, the cat is an immense cast. I know. I, I, I have I have that in my notes. Unusually large cast, and I think in part because it's a six parter and it's got those two sets. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got you get the the guys in the Antarctica Antarctic base. Uh, the uh, the three scientists who all were very interesting individuals, you know, they, they were they were distinct and yep. they had, you know, for the the short amount of time you, that they were on screen. You could tell by the different colors of their fake beards. Yes. <laughs> were they fake? Oh, maybe they uh, were. I'm uh, pretty certain they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. You yeah. can tell. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there was a there's definitely as I think you mentioned there was a definitely a, a feel of the thing. The, that famous yeah. uh, movie, uh, a little bit of uh, Alien, which obviously postdates this, but where the the seed pod opens and the yeah. creature comes out, was very, very felt very Alien. Yeah, it's instead of being a a face hugger pod opening thing, it's a uh, wrist hugger pod <laughs> opening thing. The pod opens right. just like it it unfolds, and this spastic tentacle looking thing comes out and slaps around a person's wrist and infects him. Yes. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that was very interesting. And there's a rapid transformation that, that takes place. Uh, speaking of rapid, the doctor and Sarah Jane, are, you know, are sent to Antarctica and they get there really fast. <laughs> like, and not by the TARDIS it, either. No, no. It takes a long time to fly, uh, to fly to Antarctica from anywhere in the Northern hemisphere. Uh, you know, cause there are several steps you have to take, but they compress it all. Of course. I mean, it's, it's TV. Can't yeah. Drag it out. But uh, there's a lot of interesting elements there. One of the things that comes up is the doctor uh, wants. Yeah, Jimmy, you get. Well, they they could have gotten to Antarctica a lot faster if this was set just a few years later in the time of the Seeds of Death, because the Seeds of Death is a Doctor Who second Doctor Who uh, Doctor Who serial set in the early 21st century where they have a teleportation system. That's based on the moon, but is a lot, but connects various points on Earth. 
and the Ice Warriors. It's the second Ice Warriors appearance. The Ice Uh Warriors, like, hack the teleportation system so they can transport the seeds of death, not (laughs) not the seeds of doom, um, to different points on Earth. So if, 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 if this had just been conflated with that, they could have gotten there much quicker and we could have had the Ice Warriors, too. That that would be awesome. Uh, so the when when they get there, they they see the guys infected, and the doctor is kind of at a loss. He recognizes it's the crinoid, this galactic weed that travels from planet to planet, and he knows the danger. And the idea he comes up with: we have to amputate the guy's arm, which was where the infection began, and that may save him. And they they don't have a doctor or a surgeon there. They have these scientists, and they turn to the zoologist and say. Well, you're the most qualified. You can amputate his arm. And I'm like, I'm not sure just because he's a zoologist, which I'm not sure why you have. Zoolo- well, you might have. There might be some animals around there. But uh, the why you would say a zoologist would have any qualification for doing a successful amputation. You might as well just kill the guy because he, he's he, there. He understands animal bodies, how animal bodies are put together. And he knows how to use a scalpel. That's literally what they say in the plot. Yes. <laughs> That's that's about it. That uh, I'm I'm not sure I would. I, I yeah. and eventually they convince him to do it because he's gonna the guy's gonna die anyway if they don't. They may as well yeah. try. And so I I like the fact that they convince the zoologist guy to try. But why does it take the doctor so long to think of that? <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. that should be like the first thing. Oh, he's already ninety percent plant. Let's cut his arm off immediately. Yeah. Right. Right, right. That's obviously where it has begun. Although by the time he's so much a plant, I'm, and the doctor admits this is a last ditch sort of uh, thing to try to figure out because, you know, it probably won't work, but it's the only thing I can think of. It doesn't actually happen because uh, the crinoid the, gets up and kills the guy who would otherwise operate on him. Yep. Yeah. Meanwhile, Scorby, who's the, the, the heavy, the, the, uh, the, the hitman, the mercenary who works for uh, the millionaire Harrison Chase. And his botanist Keeler, they've shown up under false pretenses. And I like the the fact that they're planning to take the seed pod by force and to kill the others. And they're not even aware that everything has gone out of control at this point. Like outside yeah. the room where they're sitting, the doctor and the other the remaining scientists and Sarah are all running around trying to chase down the crinoid. And it's just like it's 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 crazy pants. And they're like, well, we're going to, you know, get this gun and we're going to shoot them. Like, dude, it is way past that point for, for you. And I like that the way they wrote that in there. Uh, they kept that going. Yeah. I, as Keeler, incidentally, is very hinky about all this. Scorby yeah. is the one that's like, OK, we're going to kill these people. And Keeler is like, what? We're going to do what? No, we're not going to do that. Let's try <laughs> right. to do this other, less deadly thing instead. And so Keeler is clearly not the hardened criminal that Scorby is. <laughs> I really like Scorby's character. Because he's got, unlike many goons, he has a character arc. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, so he slowly gets educated to the fact he's working for a crazy man mm-hmm. right? and comes around. And initially, he doesn't care that he's working for a crazy man. He says, and this is based on an actual quote, although the doctor gets it wrong, who the, mm-hmm. he attributes this quote to an American humorist, it is not. But it is based on a... Um, a quote of when when it comes to money, everyone is of the same religion, and right. and and Scorby says, "Well, it, it, it I don't care how crazy this guy is. Uh, when it comes to money, he and I are of the same religion." 
And so he's all he cares about is the money. But he also, it turns out, cares about his life. And so as the crinoid on the English country manor becomes more and more deadly, he starts to turn around and there's a there's a great bit where the doctor has gone to warn the people at the world ecology thing and call in unit. And he's talking to Sarah, but he's left Sarah Jane at the base at the country manor to serve as, as a liaison. So he, so he can coordinate with her. And so he calls her on the phone and she and Scorby have been arguing, but Sarah Jane has like cowed Scorby into doing what she wants. And and the doctor says, how are things going with Scorby? And she's like, oh, we're great friends. And he, and he <laughs> says, really? Well, uneasy allies. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But but he does eventually turn around. Unfortunately, he he loses faith in the doctor because he thinks they're all going to die. And he thus runs out of the house and all of the potted plants they've put up against the doors of the house are now like wailing on him. And, and he manages to burst through them. And yep. so he's you you think he's safe now, but he's like stumbling around uh, by himself on the country estate and falls into a pond. <laughs> right. And and I'm thinking, oh, there are some there are some vines in this pond. He's going to have to now pretend to wrestle with them like Bella Lugosi with the fake octopus at the <laughs> end of at the end of Bride of the Atom. And it's going to look really terrible and fake. But no, instead. Out of the water comes this huge, enormous, massive greenery that grabs him and yes. drags him under. So he didn't have to pretend to wrestle with limp vines. They actually <laughs> set something up that would grab him, and that was great. Yes. It even, yeah, it, it, it smothers him, yeah. Yeah, it even kind of looked like a hand coming out of the water and smacking down <laughs> on top of him. It was it was actually pretty impressive. That was pretty good. There was a lot of, you know, decent special effects for this period. There, I mean... Both the Country Manor House explodes at the end from the, the airstrike, which was pretty cool. The F-4 Phantoms come in and yep. uh, they got they had some stock footage of that. Uh, but then the, the the Antarctic base exploding. So they had models for both and they had this giant crinoid model. Uh, there was some pretty decent special effects. They were they were dramatic. Uh, I would have to point out that this fuel experimental fuel cell at the Antarctic base probably bad idea <laughs> bad let's idea, not do yeah, that at any other bases if it's a half a mile away and blowing it up causes your base to blow up as well a half mile away yeah. there's problems yeah let's go back to the drawing board of that fuel cell uh also when the doctor goes to the world ecology bureau when they get back from the antarctic he's trying to motivate these bureaucrats and politicians and he says if we don't find that pod before it germinates it'll be the end of everything everything you understand even your pension which yeah. is that now he knows how to motivate bureaucrats. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, the, we, uh, speaking of, um, we were talking about Chase and how you know he's a bad guy earlier. Uh, he also monologues a lot. To, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. To, w- w- before he kills, so which lets the doctor escape not once, not twice, but like multiple times. Yep. He also so, has blunted emotional affect, so like people yeah. will be saying things to him that are really important, and he's he's just. He's just got this wide-eyed, I'm going to monologue and I don't care thing going on. <laughs> right, right. Uh, also really bad at his job. Scorby is actually, for a, you know, a killer, mercenary killer, I, I don't know how many times he tries to kill the doctor and fails. Like, he <laughs> a also, lot. <laughs> a lot. There are, like, multiple times. Yeah, I, I almost put it in my notes. Um, doctor, when you've disarmed people and rendered them harmless for the moment... 
take their guns. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because he keeps it like twice. The doctor punches someone out and just yep. leaves them with their gun. It's like, right. no, if you punch someone out and cause them to collapse in pain, take their gun with you. Even if you're not going to use it, take it away from them. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you mentioned the guns, I think you both have some small experience with with uh, small arms. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the way Scorby kept holding his gun, did, did that bother either of you? Because it was bugging the heck out of me, because not only did he have poor trigger discipline, he had his finger on the trigger all the time. Uh-huh. He had he did this thing where he was gripping it with only his forefinger and thumb and left his three other fingers kind of pointing outward like what dude if you ch- yeah kinda it like was okay kind of like a teacup hole you're thinking like yeah yeah there was this weird way of holding it and i'm like dude you are you are obviously not someone who is like the actor is someone who's ever held well, guns he is before a, he is a british actor so yeah <laughs> right right it's a small thing i just kept i, I wasn't going to mention it until you mentioned uh, the Emily, thing, i never yeah. noticed it but yeah that, that would be uh go ahead and try <laughs> to fire a weapon like that a handgun like that <laughs> yeah. once and see what that does not yeah. going to turn you might out get well. A broken nose when it, it hits you back in the face. You can actually get to YouTube videos where people do stuff like that, where they've got a weak grip on a, a fairly powerful yeah. firearm, and yeah, it comes right back in their face. <laughs> yeah. What I noticed with a lot of these guns is how dainty they are. They're like, I mean, yeah. there is such a thing as what's considered a woman's gun because mm-hmm. right. you know women's hands are 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 uh, typically Generally smaller, small. smaller yeah. and less muscular than men's, yeah. and so. Their their women's guns have less of a kick to them, yeah. and it, I've noticed in not just in this, but in a lot of British television from this period, like the Avengers or mm-hmm. you know Bond movies or things like that, which is not television but is still from this period. You have people using these real men using these really dainty small guns, mm-hmm. and I'm I, I I'm not sure why that is. If they were popular at the time, or I mean, if um, if it's if they're thought to be more easily concealable, but but it yeah. is something I've noticed. They're not the they're not what I would want. I mean, the, the concealed issue is the one I, I would think of in real life why you'd want a gun like this. Because I know people who have yeah. smaller firearms for the purpose of um, concealed carry. And yeah. they generally, but right. they're usually not dainty though. They're just usually smaller, smaller, smaller barrel. You know, maybe less right. rounds in the yeah. magazine and so on. But uh, Spe- yeah, Bond, speaking of Bond carried a Walther PPK, which is a small. Yeah, that yeah. was the small one. Spe- yeah. Speaking of dainty guns um, there. I don't know if you've ever read the original, original life magazine version of. In- but since we're on a story involving space pods and people turning yep. into things <laughs> in the original, original life magazine version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the pods lose. And the reason they lose is one of the characters is able to, like, contact the FBI and bring him in. And the narrator, who is a first-person narrator, so he's one of the characters in the story, talks about the FBI swooping in on the town and arresting all the pod people with their dainty machine guns. And he's like, they're carrying dainty machine guns. Really? Okay. I'm not sure that's the word you wanted to use there. That is funny. It's the one yeah, Jack well, it, Finney did use. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The uh and that that's interesting. You compare like the 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 Bond carrying the PPK versus the, uh, another contemporaneous American, which was Dirty Harry, 
who carried a you know a forty four auto mag, which is a giant weapon. Yeah. So it's a, a very interesting difference between American and British, you know, p- depiction of action heroes in in that. Yeah, and that's uh, like a forty four is what I would want. I mean, I've used oh, yeah. n- I've used nine millimeters a lot, but even a nine millimeter. I mean, the reports I have from people who've used them in combat. Mm-hmm. Is that even a nine millimeter does not have the stopping power you want? That you really want right. a larger caliber if you can use it, right? Like yeah, like the old Colt nine eleven, nineteen eleven, forty five. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's been secrets of gun talk. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about this. So Keeler, who's the botanist, get is the uh, like we mentioned before is the second guy to get infected, and Harrison Chase is so creepy, no pun intended, as he like, no, no, I'll help you. I'll help you change. This is all for the better. And poor Keeler is like, no, get get me help. And, and it's oh, it's just so awful. And uh, and then there's the butler. This is the other character I want to mention. The butler Hargreaves, yeah, who kind of goes along with everything. And I'm like, why is why is Hargreaves like okay with all of the cuckoo crazy stuff that Chase is doing? Oh, He's just he, a classic, the butler manservant. He even asked it one as they're leaving the house. Is like, are you really sure we're doing the right thing? This might be dangerous for him. And that's literally <laughs> the only questioning he does of Chase in the entire right episode. Yeah, of course he he dies. The butler dies because yeah, the butler didn't do everybody it. Everybody dies. Yeah. Well, and and the butler at least does try to challenge him a little bit, but I don't think yeah. I, I think like Scorby, the butler does not have the full picture of what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he and he's he's principally concerned with money and he's amoral. But right. If so, they've they've got, you know, they've got Keeler in this place and his boss is saying, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Yeah. Are you going to call the police in at this point? And, you know, maybe you're going to cut your boss some slack in terms of he's saying he's got this under control. So maybe he does. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But he he does come to a bad end, uh, smothered by plants uh, in the in the greenhouse. Uh, another character who actually might be my favorite uh, guest character is Amelia Duca. Oh, she's oh, great. Yeah, she is so fun. <laughs> she's this artist who, who does a, a botany painting, and uh, she shows up and she ends up going undercover to for the World Ecology Bureau to help them get into the estate and find out what's going on with the with the doctor and Sarah Jane. Well, and she has so many great lines. Yeah. Also, and and I thought I, I so they do something with her name that is famous on another British show called Keeping Up Appearances. Yep. But I checked, and yeah, Keeping Up Appearances was in the '90s, so it was 20 years after this. Yeah. But her name is spelled D U C A T, and it, like the m- unit of money. Mm-hmm. In some European yep. nations. And so the doctor initially more than once pronounces her name Ducket. But then <laughs> yes. but then it's like, oh no, it's Duquet. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is very similar to I think it's Francis is her name, but there's a character on keeping up appearances. Her name is Francis Bucket, but she wants it pronounced Bouquet. It, it's Hyacinth. <laughs> Hyacinth Bucket. Hyacinth, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Bouquet residence. <laughs> <laughs> and, so and she has uh, uh, yeah go ahead uh, uh, even, a lot of great lines y- yeah. y- even her husband says well i always pronounced it bucket until i met you yeah. <laughs> that's awesome so uh yeah she she goes uh, uh amelia uh duca duca 
goes undercover at different points. She she claims and and it's apparently true that Chase bought this painting from her and never paid for it. Like this millionaire guy who apparently has unlimited resources, you know, would be a billionaire today. Never paid her for this painting. Well, he made, she and made that for that can happen with. Mm-hmm. That's how sometimes they get to be super rich. <laughs> exactly. They don't, exactly. They don't always pay their bills. They, they right, don't spend right. money. They, they, they yeah. it's not that they've earned money by being you know great famous people. They just don't spend money, and so they keep all their money. They hoard their money. Right. Right. Also, she. I mean, she's really an interesting character because she's like eighty years old. I mean, or more, or or yeah. she, or more. And she's smoking these like thin cigars that were popular at the time. And she is going undercover for the World Ecology Authority (laughs) and and into this dangerous situation and ferrying messages in and out and scoping out, you know, what's going on in the in the estate and everything. And it's completely unrealistic, but I just love this octogenarian Jane Bond lady. <laughs> she well, does great. Well, I love it where Sarah Jane kind of pulls her aside. Sarah Jane's hiding, kind of pulls her aside. Let let them know. Let the World Ecology Forum know and all this. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's going to end well. And next scene is Ducat yeah. getting into the, the car with them and like, oh, yeah, I already knew about all this. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then there's the other character that's in the car, which is Duncan, who is the trader. World Ecology Bureau yeah. trader. Right. He was he was selling the seed pods to Chase. And then, like, Scorby eventually realizes Chase has cuckoo pants and and uh, it's he has remorse for what he's done and tries to undo it. You know, he, he tries to go in and undo the damage and eventually gets killed by the crinoid because he does the classic horror movie trope of I'm running away. Oh, no, I've fallen. And I'm yep. not going to get to my feet and keep running away from this shambling horror. I'm going to lay on the ground and try to shoot at it with the gun. Which yeah. he's already shot at it with and knows yeah. is ineffective. Yeah. Yes. They, 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 you can tell they tried to act it where like his leg got caught on a tentacle of the, the crinoid yeah. or something like that. Of course, you don't see it on screen because they don't actually have a tentacle there for him to get caught on. But Right, right. There are a couple of sort of off-screen horrible deaths that happen here that's Duncan, oh, where he gets consumed by the crinoid. The but then most the horrible one. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, they have this unit sergeant who's with them for a while, and and uh, Chase, in the country manor, has this monstrously huge composting machine <laughs> that yes. will, it's got these rollers that fit together and will totally disintegrate or rip apart anything that goes through them for the composting process, and he's built it big enough to accommodate a human being. <laughs> Which yes. is what then proceeds to happen, and they they start to use it on the doctor, and Sarah rescues him, and then later they're using he's starting to use it on Sarah, and the doctor rescues her, but then Chase uses it on this helpless unit sergeant, and there's no one there to rescue him, <laughs> and off camera he gets mulched, yes. and and then finally this is how Chase himself meets his end because he and the doctor are wrestling in front of this thing. And Sarah helps the doctor out, and the doctor is trying to pull Chase out, but can't. And so Chase gets mulched, and um, I mean, barely off screen. Mm. There, should, there should have been blood splatter everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and the doctor is amazed because at this point Chase has gone over to the side of the plants, and the doctor is like, "He was trying to pull me in. Ooh, how creepy." Yeah. Right. Well, Chase got oh, his well, witch. He was part. He's part of the plants now. 
I was going to say it's a poetic end for Chase because yeah, he he's mulched. He's uh he's fed to the his garden. Uh so um the another interesting aspect is the Keeler crinoid gets massive. Like it gets as large as 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 the dark says as large as St. Paul's Cathedral. I mean it is it is truly a massive thing that they that it ends up growing into very rapidly, I have to say. Yeah. Um and it can speak. It eventually gets the the it's sentient. It it has the ability to speak. It says, you know, it want, it tells me it wants the doctor and will spare the others if it, if the doctor comes out and sacrifices himself. And Sarah Jane points out, well, obviously it wants the doctor because it knows the doctor knows about it and is the most effective defense against it. But Scorby's, you know, kind of being an idiot about it. Like, well, you go, go sacrifice yourself and save us. Uh, and it, of course, it doesn't happen. This scene doesn't make a huge amount of sense because on the one hand, it's like send the doctor out to us. and. And and he then the doctor then asks Scorby to make a Molotov cocktail to use as a distraction so they can all sneak yeah. away. Right. But then he's like, OK, so if if the crinoid follows me, you guys do this. And it's like he's running off in a different direction and they don't really use the Molotov cocktail to sneak away. They just throw it at the crinoid. It blows up. There's it, it's a big nothing. Yeah. yeah. And then the doctor seems to sort of intentionally lead the crinoid away. While everyone else escapes and the doctor is the real distraction, I wondered if this was a script editing issue. Right, because he's doing exactly that. He went outside, like it asked, and ran, which he wouldn't need the Molotov cocktail to do. Yeah. You know, they could have just done that. Yeah, that's true. Um, So in the the end, the the crinoid is destroyed before it can germinate. Um, Barely. Within minutes. Within minutes. They had 15 minutes to do the strike, and they get it done in time. Always, always the, uh, the 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 timekeeper. You know, one of the other things that we mentioned, like the what this episode is like, like the the thing, like uh, the H.P. Lovecrafting. The other one, it was like, is do you guys see this? Uh, see the M Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening? Where I haven't seen that one yet. Don't bother. <laughs> it's, a terrible, it's a terrible movie, uh, but it is one where the plants of the Earth defend themselves against humanity by killing, driving people insane with poisoned pollen mm. and making us, you know, commit suicide, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, uh, excuse so us. We can't <laughs> all be autotrophs. <laughs> yeah. <That's right. laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it, it just, it reminds me like this is a, it wasn't just a seventies thing, but it is a constant uh, repeating uh, trope of the idea of the earth defending itself against humanity. Uh, although in this case, it was not really the earth. It's an alien plant, but uh, similar ideas. So any uh, last notes about this episode, Father Corey? You know, I have to admit, you know, instead of the seeds of doom, I prefer the seeds of barley and the flowers of hops. I, I, <laughs> I prefer what that produces instead. That's right. <laughs> How about you, Jimmy? So this is uh, from Doctor Who's uh, gothic period, gothic horror mm-hmm. period. And I liked mm-hmm. how I have in my notes that there's. And this is I took this note in the Antarctic base part of it, but I said not a lot of razzle dazzle. Uh, but it's effective, you know, horror. I, I, I like, I thought the horror was effective in this, including the plant-based body horror, as we have these guys who are transforming into crinoids Mm -hmm. and, and it does not look like a pleasant experience, you know, like the, especially the first guy who we spend more time with during his transformation. It's like, he's, 
he's awake and unable to move and knows what's happening to him and can't do anything about it and can't even scream. And it's like, wow, that is pretty creepy. Yeah. I have uh, the doctor uh, has an understated but interesting performance. And as usual, Tom Baker is doing some of his patented, I think, ad libs uh, on some things. I'm sure some of this was written, but I don't know that all of it was. When he gets to the Antarctic base, they've heard this doctor is coming. And Tom Baker at the time was, I don't know, in his late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the the scientist at the base says, oh, we were expecting someone older. And the doctor says, I'm only 749. I used to be younger. <laughs> and, um, and then he he he's at one point, he's like standing in front of a guy who's turning into a crinoid and he's standing at the bedside looking at the guy in the bed when Scorby comes into the room behind him and says, turn around. And the doctor turns around 360 degrees yeah. <laughs> and 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 looks back at the guy in the bed. And Scorby says, turn around facing this way. <laughs> um, there, there's also a nice bit where the doctor and, and Sarah are sneaking into the country manor or pile, as they say. Mm-hmm. And um, and Scorby confronts them and the doctor talks to Sarah Jane and says, hold on get our hands up and <laughs> and and then when some additional goons arrive and see, so he's speaking for Scorby and right. and then when some additional goons arrive he speaks for Scorby again and says grab us we're very dangerous individuals <laughs> and and then when they've taken him to chase and chase is like indicated he's going to execute them sarah jane is is like can't you do something other than execute us and the doctor is saying be reasonable, Sarah. What choice does he have? We keep interfering. <laughs> <laughs> so so some really nice stuff on that front. Tom Baker, like I said, gets to punch out a couple of guys and call in an airstrike at the end. I'm not kidding. Yeah. The third doctor is spinning in his grave. His successor <laughs> is calling in unit airstrikes to solve problems. <laughs> but... uh. Tom Baker also, at one point, when they're cha- being chased around the country estate, he's, he, I mean, he appears, well, he does snap Scorby's neck. Yeah. And, I yeah. mean, he grabs Scorby's head and yanks it around, twists it around rapidly, and there is a loud snap in the soundtrack. It even says loud snap in yep. the closed captioning. And so yeah. I thought Scor- the doctor has just killed Scorby. And no, Scorby gets up and like rubs his neck and he's fine. So I guess he Just, gave him a chiropractic adjustment on the exactly. fly. But but wow, I mean, that that seems like intent to kill to me. Yeah. Not intent to adjust. Also, there's some kind of foolish stuff. Like I mentioned the taking people's guns, you know, away from them when you've disarmed, when you've got the upper hand, so to speak. Also, at one point, uh, Dunbar, the traitor from the World Ecology Authority, who has realized how badly things are going, he's like telling Chase, I'm going to go call the police. I Like, I'm yeah. going to leave the estate and go call the police. And it's like, if you're going to call the police on a Bond-style supervillain, which is <laughs> what Chase is, 
Do yes. not tell him that's what you're <laughs> going to do. <laughs> so yeah. you know, no wonder he ends. He ends. He has a bad end. Um, the crinoid attack on the house because by this point it is enormous. It is bigger than mm-hmm. the house. They do it by stop motion, and it's you know for a television budget for stop motion, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Also, the the intermediate stage crinoid costume where it's still a human being in there is repainted from it's an axon costume from the claws of axos from the third doctor but they've painted it green but you'll remember in that serial we had those weird looking red tentacle creatures that were doing stuff and okay the same costume is just green now okay in the antarctic scenes to make sure we knew it was antarctica they posed an unrealistic snowing effect over the exterior shots And they yeah. used a lot of styrofoam snow. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mind that, though, because, you know, 70s children's television, it's fine with me. Sarah Jane also gets a good line when she's talking to Chase after he's decided he's a plant. And he's describing how all it's going to be this beautiful, silent world once all the animals are dead. And, and she says, and you'll all flower happily ever after. at the end of the very end uh of the uh, episode after the main story is resolved they're back in the ecology headquarters place which has more than one copy of gone with the wind on the shelf (laughs) and the doctor and sarah are going to go to the tardis and and leave and go to uh cassiopeia cassiopeia yeah yeah and for a vacation and the doctor invites sir colin Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like we've whoa companion invitation, and not from someone you would expect. He's this elderly guy, um, so was, but he says he's got to get home to the wife with dinner. And uh, unlike will happen in the future, it's like hello time machine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is the last. If you've if you've noticed, and I've noticed this for quite some time in this period of Doctor Who, the TARDIS looks the the exterior of the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. looks ratty yeah and it's it's like why haven't they like repainted this and come or rebuilt a new prop or something like that this is the last use of this tardis prop which afterwards okay. fell on elizabeth sladen and tom baker oh um because it was so rickety at this point right oh wow and then they end up somewhere that is not cassiopeia and they have this line at the end the doctor says have we been here before and he and Sarah Jane together say, or are we yet to come? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. the final end. And okay, I guess we could use the clarinet of humor on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, it's supposedly Antarctica. But yeah, they're, back, yeah. they're, back, they're in Antarctica. back in Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking as you were um, talking about your notes, that there's been a lot of episodes of, it's in the fourth doctor so far, Country, uh, British country manners. Mm-hmm. Like, we just keep good Pyramid of Mars, they, like, just over and over again. They're, we show up they're the these. new rock quarry. <laughs> yes, yeah. they are. I mean, I suppose if you're doing, you know, uh, gothic horror, yep. that's where it happens at British country manners. Well, and there, uh, there were a few that the BBC had access to on a regular basis for the purpose of filming. I mean, that they had agreements that they could use. So they would show up in many, many different shows. Like, I'm sure this one showed up in many other shows at the same time. Because they had the right. ability to use them for the purposes of filming. That's right. That's right. That's true. 
All right, I think that does it for this discussion of the Seeds of Doom. Before we go, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And of course, we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So what did you think of the Seeds of Doom? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, Hide. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you. I uh, wasn't sure for a second if Hyde was a command or not, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> come, come back out, Jimmy. Come back out. Father Corey Steger, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, waffle, waffle, waffle. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.